0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, as you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated, uh, we're continuing to walk through our series Um walking through the Gospel of Mark, uh, which, oddly enough, we're going to finish Easter morning, which seems appropriate. Um, we're in Mark chapter 10 this morning, and we're continuing to talk about discipleship because Jesus continued to educate and equip his followers. And last week we talked about the fact that if we want to be disciples, then we have to understand that being a disciple of Jesus meant you were a lifelong learner. You weren't, a tender, and there's nothing There's nothing wrong with just being a Christian who decides I'm going to commit my life to Christ. But if you want to be a disciple, then you would spend your life, uh, like the disciples did, uh, who left their jobs, left their homes, left their businesses, so they could spend time with Jesus, so they could learn not just what he had to say, but how he lived his life, and they could live out their life in the same way. They tried to learn how he lived so they could live the way that he did. Uh, and one of the uh, the three things that he really emphasized to them as disciples was, first and foremost, they needed to know, like, the Word of God. So over and over and over, uh, I've been emphasizing every time it said that he would stop and he would teach his disciples. Uh, he used parables to teach them. He used life situations to teach them. But a lot of what he taught them was the Word of God. And if we want to be disciples, then we need to know the Word of God. Not what, hey, this is what Pastor Floyd says it says, or not what this is what the meme of the week says it says, or you know, some person who we follow in ministry posted or a Bible app posted, but here is what the word of God says, right? We need to know that. We need to know the basics of the Bible, which is that, you know, God loved us enough. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That's like the gospel, that's like Christianity 101, right? And and we need to at least know that but we also need to commit to spending time with God. Jesus would often go off and spend time in prayer, away from his disciples, away from the people, just spending time in prayer with God. And if we want to be disciples of Jesus, then we need to do what Jesus did. We need to go spend time away from the family, away from the kids, away from work, whether it be in the morning, whether it be in the evening, whether it be during our lunch break, whenever we can find that time, to spend time with God, but we also need to commit to spending time together, right? Because today, you know, we're here in this building, there's someone a mile away in another building, there's a group, another across 51 in another building, but that's not what the disciples did. They all gathered together with Jesus in the presence of God. They committed to spending time with one another. When you read through the book of Acts, over and over and over in their homes, uh, out in the temple courts. They would spend time together. And this is the heart of being a disciple, right? Knowing the word of God, committing to spending time with God, and committing to spending time together. So as Jesus was preparing his disciples, uh, he began to drill all of this into them. But also, the disciples started to realize uh, that some of the things that Jesus taught contradicted some of the religious teachings of their day right and we're we're going to find out the same thing is also true that um, the doctrinal truths that Jesus taught they're going to contradict some of the cultural practices that are accepted in the church today right and, and and it's not saying that you know those denominations that do them not trying to hate on anyone but a lot of the things that Jesus taught contradicted uh, and we're going to read where, you know, over and over again, it says, you have heard it said. He'll tell them, you have heard it said. And he said, but I'm telling you, that's not what the word of God says. We're going to read today where they're, they're going to try to test Jesus and say, hey, what do you say about this situation? And he's going to say, that's not what the word of God says. Multiple times, their cultural practices presented them with things that they accepted as being okay from a religious perspective. And Jesus comes up and says, that's not what God intended. That's not what the word of God says. And there are things that we've we've grown accustomed to in the church that have done that. How many people remember, like, actually, how many people have a smartphone? If you have a smartphone, pull out your smartphone, right? And Google uh, Daniel in the Lion's Den. Right? If you Google Daniel in the Lion's Den, and then if you go to images. Most of the images are going to show you a young, dark-haired, tall, fit, you know, magic Mike-looking. Don't Google magic Mike, though, because that's not cool. But magic Mike-looking guy who looks good who and all that stuff. There will be some that show an older gentleman with some graying hair, because that's what we grew up in a church learning. That's what Daniel and the Lions said, right? But last year, when we went through the book of Daniel, we know for a fact that by the time Daniel got thrown in the lion's den, he was pushing 90 years old. He wasn't dark-haired, he wasn't young, he wasn't fit. He was like gray-haired, right, carrying an AARP card and probably on a walker. They probably had to help him into the lion's den because he was pushing 90 years old. But the cultural things that most people teach is that he was a younger man. I don't know why they do it, but that, that's the way they do it. But that's not what the Bible says. And let me do this. Let me give you an example of of some other things. Uh, There are some things that I grew up learning and thinking were okay, and then later found out that these are not okay. Now this is not a religious practice, and this is this is me being a little bit vulnerable. So don't don't make fun of me. And if you do, wait till you're in the car on the way home. So there is um there is a, a a an app that I downloaded that you can use to scan your groceries. And it tells you whether they're healthy or not by just scanning the barcode. First and foremost, do not download this app, right, because you're, you're going to get upset, especially if you start checking the food in your cabinet, right? And if you do download the app, don't get mad at me because you look at all the food in your cabinet and realize this, this is killing me. Right? I'm still mad at the lady who told me to download the app. Um what's uh I'm gonna listen to K Love. Her name's Lori, she's one of the new ones on K Love, used to love her. Uh she heard her talking about this app. I was like, oh, that's a cool I missed the part where she said, Don't get mad at me if you download the app. I'm still mad at her. Like if I go turn on the radio now and she's on, I switch the channel because I'm not over it yet. Because I used this app and I started checking on some of the food in our cabinet. And I'm like, ooh, that's not good. Ooh, that's not good. And what the app does is it rates the food on a scale from zero, like, this is really bad. You, you should, like, throw this. Don't even burn it because the fumes will kill you, to, hey, this is on a scale of 100. This is great. Eat as much of this as you can, right? Now, again, don't get mad at me if you decide to download the app. Um, it's called the Yuka app, and basically it's just a sca- an app that checks a bunch of criteria on the food and then tells you whether it's good or bad. I decided, and I, this is, again, my fault, but I'm still blaming her, but I decided to scan my favorite potato chips. Potato chips are not healthy anyway, right? But I figured, what's the worst that can happen? They might be a 70, a 60, or a 50, right? Which is pretty bad. I grew up From a child, like child, five, six, eating these chips every single day. When I was in the military, I forgot where I was stationed, but I was stationed somewhere where none of the stores in the town I was living in had these chips. So I had to drive 25 miles one way and then go up the side of a mountain to a little grocery store to get these chips. And every time I went in, I bought all they had. And after a couple of times, they started ordering a case for me. And I would come in and they were like, you here for your case of chips? Yep. Give me the case, and I'd leave. These were my favorite chips. I scanned them. They came up a zero out of 100. Like, if they had come up a 10, I could at least say, well, now I just can't eat as many. But it's a zero. So I I have no justification for eating these chips, I haven't bought them since, which is probably why I'm still mad at Lori or whatever her name is. But um, they came up with zero. And here's why they came up with zero. And this this, this is the part where you're going to see. Uh, yes, I expected their chips saturated fat. Yes, I, chipped, I expected lots of sodium. I expected lots of calories. But it came up for the additives. It came up with additives that are hazardous, like You should not eat these because this will kill you type of additives. Two of the additives, now one of them was a limited risk. Like if it came up a 12 and a limited risk, I'd probably still be eating them. I would have some in my bag. I'd probably eat some when we were done. But it came up a zero, and two of the additives are, it says hazardous, meaning these will kill you. Here's the problem I have, right? I have been eating these since I was a child. Because the FDA determined that, hey, whatever is in these chips is good enough for human consumption. But if you go look at this app, the reason they determine that those additives are hazardous is because the FDA says, don't eat these, they will kill you. So all these things that I've been consuming since I was a little kid, right, that were deemed, hey, this is okay to eat. Now I look and I find out, this is harming my body. This is wrong. This is not okay. Right? Now, take that to a religious context. That's what the apostles and the disciples are going to confront today. All these practices that they thought, hey, we grew up with this culture. We were told by the religious leaders, this is okay. Jesus is going to come along and he's going to say, that's not what the word of God says. That is not okay. That is not the way it works. Right. And it's going to challenge the thinking of a lot of the people. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Mark uh, chapter 10. And we're going to jump in at Mark chapter 10. Uh, but I'm going to go back one verse because I've said this before, but I want to make sure we're clear uh, that when Mark wrote this, he didn't write in verses and chapters. He just wrote one long letter, right? So what, what the chapter things make us do is they make us kind of break it up into sermons and how we read and how we study. But what when you're reading the events, what he actually wrote was in verse uh, 50 of chapter 9, he was talking about, Jesus was talking about how we, the people, are supposed to be the salt of the earth. He said salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? And then he challenges them, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salt, the way we think of salty today is it adds spice and flavor. But salt back then was a preservative. right? So salt was almost like money because that's the only way you could keep food for more than like a couple hours or a day. Right, You wouldn't be able to put it in the fridge. You wouldn't be able to put it in a Ziploc bag and, and throw it in a cabinet. Or you wouldn't be able to put a chip clip on the bag and throw it in a cabinet. You would put the food in and pack it in salt, especially the meat, so that it would be kept good. So salt was almost as valuable as money because everyone needs food. And what Jesus told them was, hey, you're supposed to be the preservative that keeps the word of God true and faithful in the culture. No one else is going to do it. You guys are supposed to do it. Then we read, Jesus then left that place, and he went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. He started revealing biblical truth. Again, that word taught is uh, where we get the word doctrine from. Verse 2 says this, some Pharisees came And they tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, when they tested him, right, when they tested him, that means they came and they asked him this question. Hey, we want you to answer this, but they already had in their heads, here's the right answer. Whether it agrees with what Jesus said or not, they already had in their head, here's the right answer. Now, the Pharisees were a group of people who, uh, they put more emphasis on doing good works, than obedience to the law. They put more emphasis on the oral traditions that they came up with instead of obedience to the word of God, right? So drop down with verse 3. They asked them, hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Verse 3, what did Moses command you, is what Jesus replied. So Jesus points, points them back to the word of God. Verse 4, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus said, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation. In other words, Jesus is telling them, here was God's intention. Right At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, he's quoting from Genesis, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, this is the plan of marriage in the sight of God, because it was always God's intention for humanity in a marriage relationship to be a picture of a relationship with God. That was his intention. Uh, In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah wrote this. To the people of Israel, he wrote, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He's called the God of all the earth. Isaiah was telling the people of Israel, hey, you're the people of God, but the relationship picture that you're supposed to have with him is that of a marital relationship. Now jump to the New Testament. And Paul says something similar to the church in Corinth. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I promised you to one husband. The reason I promised you to one husband is because you are the bride of Christ. And throughout the Bible, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. The whole concept of marriage, a man married to a woman, is supposed to be a picture of of humanity's relationship with God. And whenever someone wanted to know, well, I wonder what it's like to be in a relationship with God, they're supposed to be able to look to married people within the body of Christ and say, that's what it looks like. They love one another. They care for one another. They're there for one another. They may not wholeheartedly agree, but they keep reconciling back to one another because that's what the picture of marriage is supposed to be like. All right, so verse 10. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And here's his answer. This is important. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, again, they asked him this question as a test, and they had an answer in their heads that was right. And what he was doing was confronting their cultural acceptance of marriage and divorce. Because in their day, uh, there was a Jewish law that said, um, you can divorce your wife if she doesn't please And so they're asking Jesus, hey, what do you say about this? Because they're hoping he's going to, as he did, refute it. And then all the people are going to be mad at Jesus and stop following Jesus. Because not only did it say you can divorce your wife if she displeases you, and I'm not going to give an example of my wife because that just never works out good, but they had examples like if your wife burns the food and you're not pleased, you can divorce her. Now, it's not like, oh, she went out to go chase after the kids, came back, and something burned. The indication was if she's not a good cook and you're displeased, you can divorce her. And they had a list, and I forget the list, they had a list of of justifiable reasons why you could divorce your wife, but then they took this to another level, and they said, I can divorce my wife if she displeases me, and then what everyone started doing is saying, hey, my wife doesn't please me, but this woman does. And they started using that as a justification to divorce their wife to say, she doesn't please me, but this person does. Which is why Jesus brought up and said, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another for a woman or a man, you're committing adultery. Jesus said, hey, because he knew they weren't asking about divorce and separation and not getting along. They were trying to justify the religious cultural practice of saying, hey, she doesn't please me, but she does, so I'm going to divorce her and marry her. And he pointed them back to the law and marriage. And he pointed them back to the whole concept, which they would have been familiar with, of adultery. Adultery is when you break faith with someone you're in a relationship with. This wasn't saying that, hey, um, your wife beat you over the head with an iron every morning because she's mad at you, so you divorce her to save your life, and then 13 years later, you're at the local library, you bump into a woman, you guys start a relationship and get married, and that's adultery. That's not adultery. Because you're not breaking faith with someone you're in a relationship with. Which is why Jesus brought it up and said specifically, if you divorce this person and marry this person, You're committing adultery because you're breaking faith with the person that you're in a relationship with. Uh, And even uh, they would have been familiar with it because this is what uh, the relationship or the word that God used to characterize Israel as a nation when they were breaking faith with him. He said, rather, you were an adulterous wife, referring to Israel, who received strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers and hire them bribing the nations to ally themselves with you. Because what Israel was doing is when times were hard, right, and nations were coming at war with them, instead of trusting in God because of the relationship they had with him, they would go and pay other nations to come protect them. And God said, you're like an adulterous wife. You're breaking your relationship with me, right? So they had misunderstandings about divorce, but here's a big one, and this is one that applies today. They have misunderstandings about how do we get into the kingdom of God? Like what we're talking about. Christianity 101, right? So turn over to verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right, We all know people that ask this today. Hey, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? Or how does one get into the kingdom of heaven? I get people that ask all the time. There's like 4,000 different religions, all these different denominations. How do you know which one is the right one in order to follow the one true God and get into the kingdom of heaven? Verse 18, Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he points them back to the word of God. He says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. These were the portions of the commandments that talked about how we integrate interact with other people. And here's the guy's response. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So his expectation is, I do all these things. So ding, 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 I win. I get into the kingdom of heaven, right? But Jesus looked at him and loved him underline that in your Bible, we're going to come back to that, and loved him. And he said, one thing you lack. And that's an important phrase, because if the question is, how do I get into heaven, and here's a list of things to do, and I say I'm doing those things, Jesus is saying, hey, that's not enough. That's not what's going to get you into heaven. You lack the actual thing. He said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. But here's the thing that's going to get you into heaven. Come, follow me. It's not about obedience to the law. It's not about the works that we do. It's about following Jesus. Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except by me. Now at this, the man's face fell and went away sad because he had great wealth. But Jesus looked at him and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Some manuscripts say how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And here's, here's, here's the idea. This isn't about wealth. This isn't about money. This is about what we put in place of following Jesus, right? So uh, there are the questions that have to be answered, like what do we love more than God? Because whatever Jesus said, whatever you love, that you're going to devote your time to. You'll become a slave to doing whatever it is. So if it's money, if it's music, if it's if it's a relationship, whatever it is that we put above God, that thing becomes an idol, and then we have to ask, what do we worship? Because idols are things that we worship things that we're willing to devote all of our time to, all of our money to, all of our waking hours to. So we have to ask, what do we love more than God? What do we worship? And then who do we follow? Because all of us, um, we think of follow in that social media realm, right? But do we follow the ways of the culture? Or are we willing to follow the ways of Jesus even when it contradicts? what the culture says, right? I'm going to put the remaining verses up here on the screen, but I want to go back to verse 21 uh, because this is important. Jesus looking upon him loved him. It is out of that love that made him correct him and share that, hey, this cultural conception you had that just following the law is going to get you into heaven is incorrect. Jesus didn't do it out of arrogance. He didn't do it to demean him. He didn't do it to say that my religion is better than your religion. It's out of love that he was willing to tell him, hey, first and foremost, you have an issue because you're worshiping the money that you have. But most important, the way to get into the kingdom of heaven is to come follow me. Walk the same road that I walk. Do the things that I do. Don't let the culture dictate how you act and what's important to you. Let the word of God do it. Now, the disciples come, and they have a little you know, issue with this because Peter says, and this is the Amplified version, Peter says, wait a second. We have yielded up, abandoned everything once and for all, joining you as your disciples. Peter says, wait a second. We gave up everything. We have left homes. We have left businesses. We are with you every waking moment. We're with you in the morning. We're with you in the evening. When you go over to do your prayer, we're eagerly waiting for you to come back. We have left everything for you, and we are walking that walk. We're not just talking the talk; we are walking the walk. We're not just saying we're Christians and we and and uh, we don't even show up except for Christmas and Easter. We are 100% committed to this way of life. And Jesus responds to him, "Truly, I tell you, there is no one, not one person, who has given up and left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel." who will not receive a hundred times as much now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And Jesus isn't saying that, hey, if you want to be a disciple, you have to disregard and abandon your family. But he is saying that, hey, you need to make following me a priority, still take care of your family, still go to work, still do your job, but make it a priority. But if you are willing to, instead of climbing a corporate ladder, devote your time to, to following me and, and doing what God calls all of us to do, to sharing and showing the love of Christ to people in your communities, he says not one person who does that isn't going to receive a hundred times in this life. And I have to say this before we wind down with prayer. This does not mean that people are going to get rich. Because that's what's called the prosperity gospel preaches. They use this verse to say, hey, if you go and preach the gospel and you're a pastor, you're going to get rich and you're going to have a whole bunch of houses. I've been doing this for 15 years. I have one house and I don't even own it. So that is not the case. Okay, I have been extremely dedicated to preaching and teaching the word of God. What this does say is, because I've been extremely dedicated to it, even though I only have one house, I have family members in Jessica and Cody, in the Whites, in the Wagners, in all of you guys. I have family members who have opened their homes to me, and I've done the same. I've had people who I've been to church with probably maybe four or five times and called and said, hey, we're going through Pittsburgh. And I'm like, come on by. My home is open. My door is open. You have a place to stay because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the number of family members in my biological household has expanded hundreds of times because of the number of family members with whom we all share the blood of Christ. That is what this means. But people also miss the fact that he said, all of that is going to multiply, but so will the haters. He uses the word persecutions. As many people are going to accept you and love you and open their home to you because you're brothers and sisters in Christ, there are going to be as many people who hate you and judge you and criticize you because the things that you are teaching and proclaiming contradict the things that they were taught growing up. I had someone yell at me online earlier this week because they said, and I don't even remember what it was, but they were saying, wait a second, are you saying such and such and such? I was like, I'm not saying anything. I am repeating what the word of God says. They're like, but I grew up, oh, I know what it was. It was talking about spare the rod and spoil the child. And they grew up, and I heard that too growing up, that that meant that you're supposed to whoop your kids. And that was the cultural acceptance. I'm not telling people that whether or not you spank your kids is all up to you. But I was telling him, that's not what the Bible says. The word rod was used. Yes, it meant a rod, but it's what the shepherds used to guide their sheep. The shepherds weren't beating their sheep. They were guiding them. And that's what we're supposed to use. We're supposed to guide our children. The Bible even tells us, don't exasperate your children. he's like, I grew up thinking that you're supposed to whip your children. I don't know what to tell you. But when we follow the word of God, it's going to contradict a lot of the cultural practices of the day. And we're going to get persecutions. But they're going to pale in comparison to the love of God that we get to experience through the people of God. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and bow your heads with me. God, we are so grateful for the love that you show to us, and we are thankful that just by accepting the finished work that you did on the cross, that we get to become a part of your family and a part of your kingdom And we are grateful that as your word says, we will receive 100 times and many more houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and people who will welcome us into the family of God. My prayer is that those people this morning who are contemplating stepping across the line of faith because of the negative things that they hear about the body of Christ, that they would truly experience the love that we show to one another, the love that you have shown to us for being a part of the family of God. I pray that people would be welcomed into your family this morning, welcomed into your kingdom, but most importantly, that they would experience love and grace as they are welcomed into your congregations by your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.